Hey, what's going on, my marketing people? Today on the show, I am sitting with Yuval Boguer. He is a three-time CEO. Uh, he's got a bunch of experience building companies, running organizations. Uh, he actually saved one company that only had a couple customers, came back, brought that company back from almost death. So really, really cool interview. If you are looking at becoming a CEO, if you are a CEO now, we get into customer incentives, also how to build into build incentives into your actual organization. So everyone on the team has a growth mindset. Very, very cool, interesting conversation, especially if you're looking at that uh, CEO position or if you are a CEO. So this would definitely be the episode for you. But before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps your business grow. Are you feeling like your revenue is stuck or plateaued or you can't get any traction on social media or your website? That's where Cave Social can come in and help you out. Head over to www.cavesocial.com, hit that contact us and they'll be sure to help you out. All right, that's it. Let's pop into this episode. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I'm sitting with Yuval Boguer. He is a three-time CEO. He's built successful companies, been on the cover of Washington Post, really has a wide breadth of experience, so I'm excited to have him on the show. Yuval, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little more, man. Tell us your story. Walk us through you know, your early days and then what brought you to, I guess, wanting to be CEO or what was that calling? Yeah. Walk us through the journey and where you're at today. Sure. So I've had a, a pretty diverse career thus far. As you mentioned, I was a three-time CEO, one, uh, two enterprise software companies and one virtual reality company. And before and after, I was a chief marketing officer I am chief marketing officer of Y Charge at the moment. I'm in the process of leaving the company. Before that, I was uh, vice president of products and uh, several other things. Uh, by way of education, I have a master's in physics and an MBA from uh, Northwestern Kellogg. So I always enjoyed being on the intersection of technology and uh, marketing, which led me to initial job in product management. And then from there, opportunities presented themselves to become CEO. Uh, after doing that for 18 years, I decided I don't want to be CEO again, at least for a while, which is why I took a CMO job, which is uh, my, my current job. Cool. And how was that, you know, being the CEO, right? And then stepping into that CMO role, what, was marketing always the itch that needed to be scratched, so to speak, when you, even when you were the CEO? I think that's a good characterization. I mean, I think every CEO is something at heart, some... CEOs are salespeople at heart, and some others are technologists. They just like to run an engineering team. And I think I'm a product manager at heart. So that's the thing I enjoy most. And of course, the reason I enjoy it is that it allows you to take market requirements and translate them into product requirements, and then take the products that you build and market them, introduce them to the outside. So, so that's something that I've always enjoyed very much. Very cool. Now, throughout you know, the wide experience going from different companies and now different executive positions. Talk to me a little bit about how you would instill a growth mindset in your team or if there's any specific tactics that you've seen really work. 
Sure. So some people sometimes ask me, my kids ask me, what's the most important thing you learned in business school? And well, I learned a lot of things in business school, but I think the most important one is that incentive drives behavior. Meaning if you have an organization and you want to have it behave in a certain way, you want to design the incentive system appropriately and make sure that you run into, that you look at potential side effects. So for instance, just to take an off-topic example, if you start creating bonuses for heart surgery based on the success rate, based on how many patients survive the surgery, then you think, oh, this is going to be great. The doctors are going to be doing everything they can to succeed. But sometimes it has the uh, reverse effect that physicians say, well, I don't want to take this case because it's a lost cause and it's going to hurt my bonus. In the second software company that I ran as CEO, that was a turnaround situation. The company had very little cash, had just a couple of customers, and I was brought in to, to help save the business. And I did two things that I think are uh, worked very well in that particular case, but I think are applicable to others. The first thing I did a customer tour. So the company had two or three customers. I immediately got on a plane and went to visit them, I had dinner with each of them. And I remember I was sitting in Germany uh, with a customer and I said, look, you, you don't know me very well. We've spoke on the phone and this is our first face-to-face meeting. But believe me, my word is my bond. So the contract that you signed with my company is set in stone. We're not going to open it. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to open it at least. But tell me this, would you have paid more for our product? And he was honest enough to say, yes, I would have. And he went into explaining why that's the case. Well, that evening, our prices tripled, <laughs> right? <laughs> not to him, not to him. He had, the, right. he had the, the signed contract. But for every new customer, we started asking for much more. So we grew that company from a $100,000 average deal size to about half a million dollar average deal size just by listening to the customer, asking the right questions. But the second thing, because the company didn't have a lot of cash, we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to reduce everyone's salary by a little bit, you know, by 10%, including mine. I, I just got the job. Sure, I'll take a 10% pay cut. But that is not going to just go away. We basically said to people, instead of 100% salary, you're going to have 90% salary, and then you're going to have 10% bonus potential. And that bonus is paid when customers pay us. And so we have a quarterly goal. This, this quarter, we're going to collect that much money. And if customers pay less, then we only get, you know, 60% of the bonus pool. And if customers pay more, then great. Then you, you get more than you gave up. And we did that for every single person in the company. So we aligned what was most important to the company, which is cash collection from customers, with everyone's bonus pool. And I remember it was one day towards the end of a quarter, I get a call from an engineer in one of our remote facilities, and he says, Yuval, have we shipped the software to this and this company? And I said, yes, we have. And, and have they accepted it? Well, we're working on it, and I think we're going to get there. And I said, well, I'm glad to answer these, but why do you ask? And he says, well, what do you mean, why do I ask? That I'm counting on this bonus this quarter, so that's why I care to make sure that the customer is happy and the software has been delivered and so on. So that's when I knew that it worked. By aligning the incentive system, I was able to focus the entire company on what was most important to the company at that time. Interesting. And it makes so much sense, right? And there's a couple of interesting points from that. One being that I think the listeners can take away from is talk to your current customers and understand 
where you are when it comes to value and pricing in the marketplace. I remember one of the things we did at our agency, we doubled our rate overnight. Because uh, when I first started the company, I was very young. We had a rate that was embarrassingly low. It was, I think, it was seventy-five dollars an hour. And I realized really quickly after going to work with a couple Fortune five hundreds, they said, "You guys are way too cheap." And but I had to have that trust with them and talk with them. I didn't change their contract, like you said, but understanding where we sat from a, a value perspective to the customer, and that was one of the you know best ways. For us to grow revenue, we doubled our fee, lost 10% of the customer. So it ended up being an 80% growth in revenue and we had to do less, you know, we had less output. So I think that there, it's interesting. It can be a useful experience to talk with the consumer. And then two, understanding the incentive for your team and how that can really penetrate and become part of their identity where now growth is at the forefront of everyone's mind where it's not you know not only a sales metric but like you said the engineer is now thinking about growth and is thinking about happy customers and is taking a more holistic view of the company so that that is something that I think the listeners can definitely learn from is understanding how does each facet of your company work and how can you instill that growth mindset across the org not just through sales I absolutely agree. And, and let me add two more points here. I have a friend who had a job once in a speaking agency. That's an agency that books, you know, celebrities or, or famous people to speak at events. And the first thing he did was he increased the speaking rates because he felt, and I think correctly, that sometimes the price is one way to communicate the perceived value. So now if I'm saying, well, I'm a $500 an hour consultant as opposed to a $150 an hour consultant, at least initially, I've said, yeah, I think I'm worth all this and you should really uh, work with me. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention about uh, listening to the customers, and that was a nice uh, sort of trick or a nice method that we employed. In one of the businesses, it was a fairly small company. You know, initially about 20 people grew to a little bit over 100 people. But our customers were very large, were, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And in Fortune 500 companies, most people see the CEO only on the front page of the annual report, right? They rarely hear directly from the CEO, certainly not on a personal level. So when we sold to these companies, I made a habit once in a while of calling our end customer. So now you've got this uh, director of IT or uh, so on. All of a sudden, he gets a call from the CEO. And his perception of a CEO is someone he never meets, right? He doesn't know that we're a small company. And so how are you doing? You know, how's the product? What can we do to help you? Uh, where would you like us to go? You know, is there someone else that you think should be using this product? I think these were super valuable calls that listening to the customer is not just the job of the product manager or the salespeople, but also of the CEO. Yeah, and it's so powerful. And like you said, you know, it's interesting there where perception is reality, right? So for that person who is the director of IT or a VP somewhere, their perception is that the CEO is unattainable. And that's their reality. So when you call through, you're able to really change that narrative for them and make them feel, you know, what marketers say, surprise and delight. And they get that feeling when they're contacted directly by the CEO. And it shows that you care, which is something that it really speaks volumes. You know, a lot of times overpriced is showing that you actually care and are invested in making the best product and best experience for your consumer. It, it, it goes so, so far. Now, talk to me. I want to shift gears a little bit. Talk to me about 
building a team and really, you know, what are some of the, I guess, non-negotiables or tactics that you've used to ensure that when you're building out your team or a marketing org, that you're getting the best people in place? Sure. And of course, that depends on the situation. Many years ago, I was an officer in military intelligence. That's before I started my high-tech career. So my favorite interviewing technique was to go to someone and say, hey, I was an officer in military intelligence. I have ways to make you talk. So now, <laughs> spill it out. Right? <laughs> and at the very least, that was an icebreaker, right? But I think, you know, what, what can you teach? What can you not teach, right? Uh, you cannot teach someone to be honest and reliable. So you, you look for that. You cannot teach someone to be smart. I can teach someone a particular industry or a particular technology, but I cannot teach them to be smart. So you look for the smart people as opposed to those that necessarily have very particular knowledge of the industry, unless you look for a quick hit on something. You have to be aware of where the people come from. If you are at an unknown company, it's much harder for you to get a meeting with, say, MasterCard. If you're at Microsoft then and you've got Microsoft on your business card, it's much easier for you to get a meeting at MasterCard. So sometimes you say, I prefer someone who came from this smaller unknown company if I can see that he did really some big things because he's scrappy and he had to get there on his own and not just leveraging the brand of his company. The other thing is, that you hope for is someone who is not afraid to speak up, is not afraid to disagree with you. And on the flip side, can take criticism, can take constructive criticism and, and try to do better. I'm sorry if this sounds corny, but that's what I usually look for. That's not corny at all. I, I think it's spot on. I think one of the biggest things I've done as the CEO of my company is really trying to change from solely being a vehicle or like saying, hey, you can criticize me. What do we have to do? And then not dishing out or not actually giving enough valuable criticism on the work. So separating you know, the work from the person and then telling and communicating to my team that, hey, we're going to do this, right? Like we're going to have this new culture where we're actually going to be able to critique each other to push our product forward and to push our process forward. It's so, so huge. And like you said, you really have to look at what are the unteachables, right? What are the things that you cannot teach to people before you bring them in? Are they going to play nice in the sandbox, right? What does their track record look like? Have they worked with teams before? Do they pass? I believe it's Tim Ferriss who says, do they pass the beer test? Would you want to be at a 12-hour layover with them at an airport and, you know, be able to sit and have a drink and not be annoyed the entire time? Those little things that you really can't teach where like you said you can teach somebody technology systems a product etc so yeah there's a lot in that i think hiring is something that's glossed over a lot especially when it comes to articles and a lot of the media that's out there regarding on building a company it's it's usually hey sales marketing sales marketing and i think we forget to really say hey they're getting the right people in behind that are really what's going to push forward the sales and marketing absolutely now, you've gone through, you've built companies, you've got the vast experience. I mean, what's next? What's on the horizon? What's, uh, what's the next itch that you want to scratch? So I don't know yet in what field that is. You know, I'm always looking for technologies that are exciting, that make a significant impact in people's lives in some place where I can make a contribution. That could be as a CEO, that could be as a CMO. It doesn't really matter to me, you know, as long as the People are good people, and I can get excited about the technology. That's what's next. Of course, some of these principles, yeah, communicating, 
you know, the incentive system, listening to customers, uh, creating a heartbeat with uh, the, the company. You know, I, I believe that companies like, obviously, like you have a drummer in a rock band. You know, he's there to create the rhythm. And it's important to you to create rhythms in a company, whether it's a daily stand-up for 10 minutes to see what's going on or a weekly chat or a, a quarterly strategy review or a bi-weekly email that you send to customers to keep your company's name at the back of their head. That's also one thing that I look for. So I'm not 100% sure what's next, but I hope it'll be as exciting as uh, all the stations that I've done thus far. Unreal. And uh, listeners out there, I know a large amount of our listeners are founders, CEOs, and CMOs. If you want to reach out to Yuval, Yuval, where can people find you online? What's the best place? I think the best place is uh, LinkedIn. Uh, just there are not that many Yuval Boguer on LinkedIn. You could uh, connect with me there. You could see some of the work that I've done, and I'd be happy to respond to questions or Otherwise, see if I can help you. Unreal. So everyone there, go ahead over after the show. If you're looking to bring on some experience onto the team, go and connect with Yuval. Yuval, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you very much, Jordan. It was a pleasure. All right, guys, that is it for this episode. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will catch you next time. Um.